We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Popeye on December 12th, 1980. It was written by Jules Pfeiffer, based on characters by E.C. Seagar, directed by Robert Altman, and released by Paramount Pictures in the U.S. and Buena Vista Internationally. Four days before this film was released, John Lennon was shot and killed in New York. So he probably never saw Popeye. In 1919, L.Z. Chrysler Seagar first published the comic strip entitled Thimble Theater in the New York Journal. The strip was syndicated by fellow Hearst property King Features, making this our second consecutive film after Flash Gordon to have originated as a King Feature comic. The first main characters of the strip were Olive Oil and her fiancé, Harold Hamgravy. Popeye wouldn't appear until almost 10 years into the publication on January 17, 1929, as a minor character. He was a ship captain hired by Castor and Hamgravy to take them to Dice Island, where they intended to break the bank gambling with a good luck charm. Reader reaction was such that after being written out of the strip, Popeye was very quickly brought back. He was such a popular character that more papers started running the strip. Popeye's character evolved over the course of the strip, from an adventurer to a detective, and eventually a rancher out west. Popeye so, the rancher. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> so he was a sailor, and then he was other things. Yep, <laughs> after that. There was, was so much was to Popeye, I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like Donald Duck in that fashion, I guess. Yeah, he started as a sailor, and then, I don't know what else Donald did. I know he was a sailor at one point. Mm-hmm. Spinach use was rare in the original strip, and only one issue featured Bluto. In 1932, King Features signed an agreement with Fleischer Studios to adapt Thimble Theater into a series of animated cartoons, which became a staple of the Paramount release schedule for the next 25 years. Yeah, this is where my knowledge of Popeye yes. starts. I didn't yeah. know anything about this other stuff. I was like, ah, Popeye was a Fleischer original. Yep. I mean, I guess apparently not. But yeah. <laughs> In 42, Paramount fired the Fleischers from their own studio and renamed it Famous Studios. Popeye's famous era shorts were largely war propaganda, with Popeye beating up Nazis and Japanese soldiers. In 2001, Jerry Beck resurrected the character for The Popeye Show, which was mostly a clip show of the original run of shorts. In 2004, a computer-animated special, Popeye's Voyage, The Quest for Pappy, was released to coincide with the 75th anniversary of the character's debut. Billy West provided the voice and described it as the hardest job he ever did, describing the voice of Popeye as like a buzzsaw on your throat, oh, which I can imagine. Yeah. A feature-length animated Popeye was long in development at Sony Pictures Animation with Gendy Tartakovsky at the helm and got as far as a release date in 2014, and then 15, and then 16, 
Tartakovsky had to put it on hold to finish Hotel Transylvania 2, but then released a 90-second animation test that looked insanely gorgeous. Oh, my God. It looks so good. I was rooting for this film. I really wanted it to come out, and I really wanted him to direct. In 2016, Tartakovsky was again taken off the project to work on an original feature of his called Can You Imagine? and then replaced with T.J. Fixman on the project. Because Sony loves nothing more than jerking Tartakovsky around, they canceled his original title to put him on Hotel Transylvania 3. However, as of May 11th of this year, he has been reattached <gasps> to the Popeye project. Yay! And I, I will keep my fingers as crossed as they go that it sticks this time. Oh my god, I would love that. I mean, if you haven't seen it, look up this animation test for Popeye. It's so beautiful. The saddest part was the first time that they dropped it, they dropped it to make room on their release schedule for the emoji movie, Ugh. which is just gross. Yeah. Poop emoji on that one. <laughs> In 1937, Fortune magazine readers voted Popeye their second favorite comic strip of all time after Little Orphan Annie. Really? Wow. Okay. In the late 70s, Paramount lost out bidding for the rights to adapt Annie, and Robert Evans asked for any comic strip they had the rights to that they could make a similar musical out of. Evans was sold on the idea when he observed that the Popeye theme song, a Paramount property, amassed $75,000 a year in royalties. So he's like, okay, there's a market here for a Popeye movie, and we own it. Actor Dustin Hoffman had been looking for a kid-friendly project and approached Evans with a clown movie and a Dracula movie, but Evans suggested Popeye instead. Evans commissioned Jules Pfeiffer to write, and rumors quickly circulated that John Schlesinger would direct and that Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin would star as Popeye in Olive Oil. Hmm. I could get behind that. I, I think could that too. could have worked. These were all Evan's first choices. Of course, Hoffman and Tomlin would go on to co-star as existential detectives in David O. Russell's I Heart Huckabees. How am I not myself? Myself. Myself. How am I not myself? How am I not myself? Mike Nichols, Arthur Penn, Richard Attenborough, Jerry Lewis, and Hal Ashby were all considered to direct between Schlesinger and Altman. Screen. I would have, I would have liked to see the Hal Ashby version. <laughs> I think yeah. that would have been very similar to the yeah. Robert yeah, Altman that's one. That's true. Screenwriter Pfeiffer exercised some power by rejecting Jerry Lewis from consideration, an inarguably wise decision. Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Hoffman, though, was not a fan of Pfeiffer's and had asked Evans to excuse him from the project, which Evans refused to do, causing Hoffman to jump ship. <laughs> the film was then set to star Robin Williams, and Tomlin withdrew from the film, at which point she was replaced briefly by Gilda Radner, (gasps) which could have been fun. Radner was trying to get Paramount to commit to adjusting their schedule so that she could be back in New York in time for the next season of SNL, Mm -hmm. but when it didn't work out, she passed on the project. When Altman was attached, he cast recurring Altman actress Shelley Duvall in the role without a second thought, and Mm -hmm. it's obvious why. Yeah. But she, honestly, of all the people you said, as much as as I love the, uh, the yeah. other women and they're fabulous actors or actresses, Shelley Duvall is uh, by choice. far the best out of all three 100%. of those to make, yeah. to make this movie. And she did this fresh off of The Shining, like yeah. just came out of that movie and went right to work on this. Which must have been amazing for her. <laughs> what a juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah, to, to go from daily torture on the set to just... Just overact and do whatever the hell you want. And work with this director who presumably they're friends. Yeah. Altman has put her in like five or six movies, so. Just be silly and fun and, mm-hmm. and hang know, out with hang Robin out Williams all day. And where were they, like Bali or something? Malta, Malta. yeah. <laughs> Shelley Duvall was actually called olive oil by bullies in her elementary school. Robin Williams had to re-record all of his lines in post because they were even less intelligible on the first pass. 
Disney joined a two-picture co-production deal with Paramount and retained international rights to the film. The other film on this contract was Dragon Slayer. Nice. An early draft of the script included Popeye's magical friend Eugene the Jeep. Mm. Do you remember Eugene the Jeep? No. He was like a weird like yellow dog with polka dots that yeah. floated around. Um, he was like the great kazoo, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And Alice the Goon? No Alice the Goon in this either. No. I don't know Alice the Goon. Oh. But later drafts gave Eugene's magical powers to Sweet Pea. Eugene the Jeep was a mysterious spotted animal with magical or supernatural abilities. He first appeared in the strip on March 16th of 1936, and according to a theory popularized by R. Lee Ermey, soldiers in the late 30s and early 40s were so impressed by their new military vehicles that they nicknamed them after Eugene the Jeep. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Back this up. The word Jeep was in this comic strip first. Oh my god. Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. But I thought Jeep was the name of the brand of the company. Jeep is a brand now. Now, yeah. My mind has just been blown. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> the opening was animated by Hanna-Barbera, whose main goal was to beat Disney with family animation, and here they were animating on a Disney movie. The budget was $20 million, and the box office gross was $60 million. So it paid for itself three times over, as much as people want to pretend this was a flop. During production, producer Robert Evans was arrested trying to buy cocaine, sounds like him altman was cautioned against working with harry nelson due to substance abuse issues in the past only robin williams agreed with altman's decision and altman and nelson got along swimmingly once the production was underway once that cocaine got spread around yeah (laughs) shelly duvall sang all of her own songs live she Mm -hmm. did them on stage she was like lame is before lame is exactly this was linda hunt's first film she's only 35 despite playing a much older woman in the film which one's linda hunt uh, the mother of Ox Blood Ox Heart. She's a tiny little lady. She's the, the, the oh. principal in Kindergarten Cop. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. After this film, Paramount sold off its rights to the Fleischer Popeye cartoons to Warner Brothers. Robin Williams was considered for Jack Torrance earlier this year, which would have made this his second pairing with Shelley Duvall. But Kubrick didn't go that way. We start with an old, small format, black and white Paramount logo at the head of what looks like an original episode of the Popeye cartoon series. When Popeye throws open the doors of his boat to reveal himself, we are treated to the voice of Jack Mercer, the most popular voice of the character from the original Popeye shorts. Hey, what's this? One of Bluto's tricks? I'm in the wrong movie. Thunder and lightning crash, and we cut to a dinghy being tossed about in the open ocean in the beginnings of a storm. Robin Williams, as Popeye aboard the boat, is rowing frantically to a safe harbor. He must be close because we can hear the chiming of a church bell in the small coastal village of Sweet Haven, and we get our first looks at the incredible production value of this town. A construction team of 165 people worked for seven months to build this entire town of Sweet Haven in Anchor Bay, Malta. It consists of 19 fully usable buildings, including a hotel, a schoolhouse, a store, a post office, a church, and a tavern, all of which are still standing today and available to visit as a tourist attraction known as Popeye's Village. Oh my god, can we go to there? We will go to there. Okay. Also, what was the budget on this? Because that is shocking. Well, considering that's all they had to do, because every single scene takes place in one of these buildings, they shot on the buildings, on the property. Yeah, but it's a it's a location shoot still, and you're bringing sure. all of these actors and actresses there. And yep. like, it was $20 million I'm still everything. shocked that, that $20 million got us this. Well, it's $20 million, I guess, in Malta. Maybe it goes, it goes a little goes bit further. further. Yeah. yeah. 
1980 Malta dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Malta bucks. You can even order food at the restaurant, like spinach soup or wimpy burgers. Definitely got to have a wimpy burger there. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to eat spinach I, soup. Uh, <laughs> I, I might eat both. As long as it's not like a soup burger. I don't know what the wimpy burgers would be. A 200-foot ferry boat was sunk in the bay to act as a breakwater to prevent flooding of the town during high seas. The upper cabins of the sunken ferry boat served as the filming location for the casino. The entire town strikes up into the first of multiple performances of the town's theme song, Sweet, Sweet Haven. We see Bill Irwin as Ham Gravy clowning his way down Main Street after a hat that keeps magically flying off his head. Popeye parks his dinghy under the docks, and as he takes off his slicker to reveal his massively inflamed forearms, he notices a man with a newspaper standing nearby who quickly hides behind a post. There, there is so much going on in the backgrounds yeah. of, of almost every shot. Um, first and foremost, my favorite character, the Hermit. Yes, who's, just like, who's in oh. almost every shot. <laughs> yeah. The rolling door to the tax collector's office slides open and outrolls the tax man himself, played by Donald Moffat, and he heads straight for Popeye. He charges a myriad of fees and taxes right off the dock, and we get our first taste of the voice Robin Williams will be using for the character throughout the film. Well, first of all, there's 17 cents new in town tax, and there's 45 cents rowboat under the wharf tax, and one dollar leaving your junk lying around the wharf tax. So all together, you owe the Commodore a dollar eighty-seven. Uh, who's this Commodore? That's the nature of a question. There's a nickel question tax. Oh, forget it. Let's see what you're up to. Here's the clue. Oh, exact change, please. I'm an exact change taxman. Oh, here. He's a dollar. Here's a red cent. Here's a franc. He's a gilder. The taxman is distracted by a pack of ruffian children and leaves in the middle of collecting from Popeye to chase them off. As Popeye moves through town, a group of men try to carry a piano and a cargo net across a footbridge. Just when Popeye is underneath it, he bends over to collect a coin and they drop the piano over the side. They hold onto the netting and it swings just over his bent head, and when he leans back up, the piano bumps his back slightly, so he turns to punch it and sends it flying back up to the men on the bridge. This is our first indication in the film of Popeye's unusual strength. Yeah, I have questions about this unusual strength, though. It seems to come and go a bit. Maybe. Popeye starts to sing a song as he continues down the road called Blow Me Down. We see Wimpy walk by with a burger. People are panicking about the stranger in town, and everywhere he might stay is quick to slam their doors in his face. He tries to buy some carrots from Giesel, as played by Richard Libertini. They argue for a while, and Giesel offers him broccoli or spinach for less. I want spinach, I'll ask you for spinach. Until Popeye basically steals the carrots. He pays a fraction of the carrot price and says that's all he felt like paying. Eventually, Popeye makes it to the oil household, Looking up at the building, he is run over by five men coming out. I guess there's a lot of people staying in this house. Almost the whole cast of the film. Well, I think a lot of them are her brothers, right? I don't know. I think Caster might be her only brother. Yeah, I think yeah, they, I think Caster uh, is the only sibling that she has, and Wimpy is staying there, Mr. Giesel is staying there, possibly Ham Gravy is staying there too. And Bluto's there a lot, but yeah. I don't know if, he's, if he lives there. I think he just lives on his boat. Popeye meets Nana Oil and manages to secure the room for rent, their last room. Inside the home, Olive Oil, portrayed perfectly by Shelley Duvall, is marching around the house in her classic red dress, 
whining about all the ugly hats that she doesn't want to get engaged in. She asks Popeye to confirm one is ugly and insists that she must cancel the engagement. After asking his opinion, she tells Popeye to butt out on their personal conversation or else she'll get her father to call the police until Nana Oil asks Olive. Olive, will you show Mr. Mr. Popeye. Mr. I, the spare room. Olive's father, Cole Oil, wanders around the house demanding an apology for the way she talked about the hats he got her. Olive has some trouble with the door until Popeye shoves it open and she goes flying across the room, accidentally yanking down the curtains around the window on the opposite side. A framed picture falls off the wall and shatters. Popeye tries to put his stuff on the bed and Olive warns him not to and then falls through it as the bed collapses to the floor. He helps her up and another picture falls off the wall before she leaves. We see Wimpy marching up to the oil house at night and the room for rent sign has a big X painted across it. I like that they don't take it down. They just <laughs> paint an X yeah. over it and leave it up. As is typical of the Robert Altman cinematic universe, we get all these little one-off jokes from background characters, mostly just chatter from random Sweet Haven residents. Here we get... Don't forget to put the cat out here. We don't have a cat. All the inhabitants of the oil house squeeze around a table for dinner together. Everybody's talking over each other, another Altman requirement, but we learn that Olive's soon-to-be fiancé, Bluto, runs the whole town in the absence of the rarely-seen Commodore, and he makes a solid living. Olive is still considering breaking off the engagement since she can't find a suitable hat, and her brother Castor says, I'd never let a girl break my engagement. I'd break her nose before she broke my engagement. Olive complains about how cheap everything is in their house, the glass, the knives, the table, and her family keeps telling her to get her rich boyfriend to replace them. It's clear she wants to break off this engagement, and she's looking for a good excuse. Yeah. So here she says, Bluto, Bluto, Bluto. Everyone takes advantage of my poor Bluto. Get a new glass, a new knife. Now they want a table. Well, hmm. that's why I always have to break off our engagement. To stop you all from taking advantage of the sweetest, most humble man on the face of this earth. She turns to walk out of the room, and she has this bouncy walk with her hands on her hips, and she's flipping her elbows back and forth and it's just exactly what olive oil does in the mm -hmm. cartoons it's the perfect walk yeah, her mannerisms in this film are just impeccable we pan across sweet haven at night and cut into popeye's room where he has strung up a hammock over the demolished bed on his boat in the bay bluto climbs to the top and shouts to the town it's nine o'clock curfew lights out all the lights turn out except for Popeye's. I thought this was going to lead to a confrontation, but it doesn't. Popeye talks to the frame of a photograph of his father and says they'll be together soon. He balances the picture frame above his bed and we see the front and there's no photo in the frame. It's just the frame with the words, me Papa, written on the inside. The church bell chimes again in the morning and all the restaurants are getting stocked up to the tune of another song, Everything is Food. It's one of the lazier ones in the bunch. It's it's pretty bad. Everything is food, food, food. Everything is food to go. Everything is food for thought. Everything you need is dough. It is food. Everything is food. I mean. I know that some of the songs are great and some of them are rough some of them are are one of them's great some of them are okay. there's a few that are great. and there's a lot that are really not good and this is one of the really not good ones i think everything is food <laughs> is not the worst song of the songs i actually don't like the blow me down song that much 
um, because it's more he's, of a spoken word. Yeah, song he's anyway. switching back yeah. and forth between spoken word and singing, and so it doesn't feel like a song yeah. at all. Wimpy bugs a man at the bar about his meal. Did you order a hamburger? Yeah, I ordered a hamburger. That's what I got, a hamburger. No, I beg to disagree. Roughhouse, a genuine hamburger for the gentleman I'm buying. Gee, thanks. Who's paying? I'm buying, he's paying. And Wimpy sneaks off with the man's initial order. The tax man charges Wimpy a chiseler's tax of one hamburger. <laughs> he just like scoots by and grabs mm -hmm. the hamburger out of his hand. Popeye tries to share his story with Wimpy, but he is repeatedly interrupted by a loud group of men harassing a waitress. Popeye tells Wimpy that he was stranded at sea for 45 days without food or water when he had a vision. This visitation comes to me. It looks just like me mother, rest her soul. <laughs> and it says, your pep is still alive. Eventually, the loud men in the restaurant turn their mockery on Popeye. The leader of the group, Spike, played by Dennis Franz, Shouts, You sure got a nice looking face there, one eye. <laughs> Everybody starts to batten down the hatches expecting a brawl. The lady at the register pulls down a cage around her. Now, is Popeye actually missing an eye? No, I don't think he's missing no, it. I, he's, just, he's just got a squint. I always thought it was squinty, but they like repeatedly in this movie make it sound like he actually doesn't have an eye there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Maybe he's missing the eye. That's a pirate thing. Isn't that a scurvy symptom or something? I don't know. No, or, the reason they wear eye patches is they weren't missing eyes. It right. I know that they switched it when they went below deck. Yeah. But that was also, a th I think some of them were also missing eyes. I remember in a documentary I watched called Pirates of the Caribbean, there was a guy <laughs> with a wooden eye and he got a fork stuck in it. Would I? <laughs> would I ever? That's going to be a character. <laughs> right. <laughs> ever. Would I ever? They keep antagonizing him about being abandoned by his father until they finally get his attention. Popeye demands an apology key from the men, and instead, they extract apology keys from all the fellow customers by force. When they are finished, they turn back to Popeye. Well, that's everybody. Everybody's apologized. Yeah, everybody's really sorry. Oh, everybody's really, really sorry. Popeye makes quick work of the gang, and the best gag here is the last guy, who gets his face used as a speed bag. Upstairs, Bluto watches, curious, as Popeye pays for his meal and leaves. Uh, I like I like when the, the guy's getting used as a face bag, and then he pushes him back, and the blind man who got shoved up in a thing hits him with like, something. Oh, yeah, something. while he's hanging out, yeah. <laughs> and he go, Popeye goes, thanks, and he just like clicks his heels together yeah. in acknowledgement. A tall woman and a short, round man walk down the street at night, and we get another one of those one-off lines. Remember, my dear, tonight it's my turn to be tall. <laughs> that night, there is a party at the Oil's place, and as Bluto approaches, he suddenly remembers he did not get flowers and starts digging through a nearby flower cart. Popeye enters the party at the Oil house and is glared out of the room by everyone. In her room, Olive is trying to convince her friends that Bluto is not as awful a boyfriend as they all suspect, and launches into another song. He's tall, good looking, and he's large. <laughs> he's large. Large. I like this song a lot. I like anything that she sings in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I like her delivery. I just feel like... Uh, this is not 
It's not Broadway musical quality here. Yes, it is. No. It's wonderful. No. I, I agree, but I do find the song charming. Yeah, and and I think the point of the song is that she's obviously struggling with her decision on whether or not to become engaged and married to this man, and she's trying to come up with arguments in favor of a marriage, and all she can come up with over and over again is that he's a huge guy. Like, that's helpful. No, I get, I get the joke, and I think it's funny. I just think you could have done it in a better song. <laughs> Disagree. The whole time she sings the song, she is discreetly packing her belongings into a suitcase. Downstairs, Bluto is destroying the flower he brought as a gift with an out loud recital of She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not. Every other petal, he gets angry at whichever person is closest to him. Ham Gravy gets squeezed like an accordion, and it's really some impressive physicality, the way he crunches him down. Olive tiptoes out the door just before Bluto gets to the last petal. Olive's friends enter to tell everyone that Olive has left, just as castor oil is about to be pummeled for the ruling of the final flower petal, but when they find Bluto growling, they lie that she's just upstairs getting ready. Bluto loses track of where he was on the flower. Now, where were we? Uh, she won't marry you, she... She will! <laughs> Mr. Slats decompresses ham gravy. That was a fun sentence to write. Yeah. I, you had to uh, dissect that sentence for me because yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry, who does what now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he, he stretches ham gravy out and you're hearing this crackling sound mm-hmm. that they have added. And his neck, it looks like impossibly long as he's being stretched vertically. I, do they actually say these guys' names or are you just extrapolating the fact that this guy's name is Ham Gravy from the credits? Um. Because I, I, like, you, when you were talking about it and saying, oh, he, he decompressed ham gravy, I'm like, what are you talking about? What is <laughs> ham gravy? I don't remember if they say his name in the movie, but that is the character's name. Only yeah. because I know who Bill Irwin is, and Bill Irwin is credited as ham gravy. Yeah. Actually, his full credit is ham gravy, the old boyfriend. And at this party, even, he's complaining about her getting married because he was her first fiancé. While Bluto waits for Olive, he is bothered by a fly that he eventually snatches out of the air. Olive crashes into Popeye outside as she backs away from her home. Popeye offers to carry her bags wherever she's going, and she gets all mixed up trying to point him in a direction, so much so that the tax man tries to tax her for impersonating a traffic cop until he notices it's her and apologizes. Well, she's not mixed up. I think she's indecisive. Those are the same thing to me. (laughs) I'm just saying she's not confused about which direction is which. She's confused about what she wants to right. do. Yeah, yeah, that's still mixed up. She okay. hasn't decided where she's going. Yeah, If she was alone, she would continue to go away, but now she's worried about embarrassing herself in front of Popeye by saying, I don't want to go back. Yeah. yeah. But Popeye's confused why the tax man canceled the tax he was about to levy. How come his oil don't have to pay no taxes? That's 10 cents question tax. Oh, <laughs> but I'll let you off this time since you're with Miss Oil. It was five cents before. Yeah, it changes at night. <laughs> Mrs. Oil brings Bluto a cup of tea, and right around here is where I broke down and Googled to see if it's possible that this actress is Kate McKinnon's mother, because the <laughs> comparison is impossible not to make. Here's a nice cup of tea for you, Captain Bluto, while you're waiting. <laughs> yeah. She just sounds exactly like her. She looks like her in yeah, this scene. Yeah, and, and I'm convinced that Kate McKinnon is doing an impression of this woman when she plays an old lady and stuff. Yeah. Olive gets very defensive when Popeye wants to know why she and her family don't have to pay taxes, and she assures him that it's not because her fiancé works for the Commodore and her family has been exempted from tax collection by the town. 
She asks why Popeye's here, and he tells her that he's looking for his father. Back in the oil house, Bluto has finished his tea and is now eating the glass it came in. An older woman in rags sneaks down a staircase near Popeye and Olive Oil and swaps out Olive's basket for another one while Popeye tells stories of his childhood. Olive realizes it's been switched right away when they get moving again. It is not my basket. Somebody has deliberately painted that basket to look like my basket. My basket was clean and beautiful, and this basket's ugly. Yes! The basket starts rattling, and Olive is convinced there's a snake inside. Popeye offers to handle it, but finds a baby in the basket, along with a note. It reminded me of the uh, baby rattler joke in uh, Pee Wee's uh, <laughs> yeah. Pee-wee's you open big up holiday. the yeah, you open up the the container, and it's instead it's a just baby rattle. It's a baby rattle instead of a little snake. It's yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> to the one-eyed sailor, that must be me. Wait a minute, hold on there. Watch out, I don't want to hurt you. I'll read this, bring it right back to you. The baby starts crying when he takes the note, but it's impossible even for a baby to stay upset when hanging out with Robin Williams, <laughs> and he's able to charm the kid very quickly. There we go. Oh, ain't that ugly? It's all right. Oh, it's okay. I am, I am, I am. I'm all right. Hey. It's okay. Hey, 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 hey. We're together in this. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the baby goes, Beba, and he says, you're a baby. It says right here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of this was improv. <laughs> yeah. I must trust only, baby. You're a baby. It says here, right there, right I must trust someone with a baby until it frees myself of certain financial obligations. Yeah. Which would take 25 years or so. Which time I shall reclaim him. In the meantime, love him as only a mother could. Signed, a mother. This is interesting because it seemed like, based on the fact that she designed a basket to look exactly like Olive's, that she intended for Olive to be the mother because Olive comes from a rich family. Mm -hmm. But the note is addressed to Popeye, clearly. And yeah. this person has Popeye's same manner of speaking. Does this person have that manner of speaking? Or, or is that just how he's reading it? That's just how he's reading it. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that was my assumption. But I don't understand why they'd want to give it to Popeye when the town is so afraid of strangers. And we never yeah. really resolve where this baby came from. Yeah. Is this? Do we know um, in the original comic I think strip? Sweepy is also a, a, a gift, a, a mysterious gift. Yeah. <laughs> and are they, is, is Popeye and Olive Oil, are they married in the comic strip? Um, whenever I see Popeye and Olive Oil, it's always a, it's always often a dating situation. Or, yeah, it's like Mickey and Minnie kind of. Yeah, okay. or or a competition between Bluto and Popeye for yeah. Olive's yeah okay. affection. When they're not playing characters like right, uh, like how Pete sometimes plays characters in the Goofy correct stuff. Back at the Olive House, Bluto shouts her name so loud that the windows shatter and the walls shake. We get the Bluto song, which is probably the worst one in the movie. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know what I mean. You know what I say. You know what I mean. That one, I can say, not only is a bad song, but I also don't like the delivery of it. Yeah. So it's it's all around bad. And it, and it seems like this movie was edited for content because it says I'm meaner than a, and everyone just goes, <gasps> No, I think that's just supposed to be cartoony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it's, that's what I'm saying. It seems like it's edited for yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bluto is just demolishing the oil house and he chases everyone out until the song is over. He's furious when he sees Popeye and Olive return home with a baby. He assumes that she just had a baby with this stranger that just washed into town. But 
from Bluto's point of view, everything is suddenly red. Like the door frame is red and their costumes yeah. are completely yeah. red. And I, it's I really like wonderful. Shot. It's great. Um, Bluto punches Popeye completely off the porch and then down the street and Popeye rolls like a wheel. It's a, it's a really cool a prop. prop. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the docks, Bluto starts Popeye spinning in place and then hammers him on the head, driving him through the docks like a screw. And he plows through the docks and then through his boat under the docks. Don't think so blames you, because I don't. (laughs) (laughs) He's so understanding about the whole situation. It's like, yeah, I get how this looks. Yeah. The next morning, it looks like Olive and Bluto are officially broken up, and the tax man is reeling off a list of the oil's debts as their demolished house is being pillaged by repossessors. Their debts total up to $12,212.12. But because this is an impossible number, it is incorrectly multiplied by 10 in the subtitles, which read $121,212.12. But you can't have 12,200. Yeah. Nana Oil yanks the newspaper out of Cole's hands because she doesn't think he's paying attention, but when the paper's gone, we see tears streaming down his face. We cut to Popeye and Olive holding the baby. Olive calls it a girl, but Popeye corrects. Her is a him. See, it likes to smoke. <laughs> Popeye names the kid Sweet Pea after the town, and Olive thinks it's the worst name she's ever heard. Well, what do you want me to call him? Baby Oil? A man hangs a poster for the Max and Sons Square Gardens upcoming exhibition fight for Oxblood Oxheart. He's taking on all challengers, and the winner will be given $15. And this is always something that I thought was a little strange. Caster? Well, no, was that this fight was coming, but we've seen Oxblood and his mother They've been in town the whole time. Yeah, they've been they've been they've been lurking around, but then all of a sudden this boat arrives. Yeah. Like they hadn't been there already. Caster decides that he will enter this contest and we hear his internal monologue. What could happen to me? Well, I could get killed. It'd be worth getting killed to help mom and pop. What if I won? I'm fast, I'm foxy. He could have a heart attack. A boat floats into the harbor with an enormous Oxblood Oxheart statue on the front of it. Sweet Haven's theme song is sung again as the national anthem before the fight begins. I like the implication that Sweet Haven is a country, but it has a <laughs> national anthem. It's not just a city somewhere. Well, in the opening of the Sweet Haven anthem is like, oh, say, can you see? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Just as Popeye and the Oils arrive to fight, Caster marches up to the stage to compete. Nana Oil is instantly panicking and tries to drag him out of the ring. Wimpy explains the rules. Gentlemen, you know the rules. There are no rules. This is a fight to the finish. First man who is dead loses. Oxblood Oxheart has his mother in his corner. Caster throws a lot of useless punches into Oxheart's belly until he is hammered to the floor. It looks like Caster is down for the count, but then Oxheart kicks him out of the ring and across the harbor. Popeye jumps out of the stands and lands in the middle of the ring fully dressed for the fight. Now that he's in shorts, we're treated to his enormous calf muscles to match his forearms. I actually really love the makeup work on on both sides. I think they matched Popeye's shape really well with Robin Williams' body. And uh, Bluto takes a seat to observe this fight from his boat. He can just see everything in every scene he's watching. Popeye takes an early hit but bounces right back and I think it's actually Robin Williams doing this move but it's cool because he it's like an uppercut and he flips back and then pushes off the ground with his hands and lands on his feet again but it's a very Popeye move. He delivers a quick shot to Oxheart's belly and then Oxheart collapses into his corner. 
Popeye moves to attack him there, but stops when he sees Oxheart's mother and shakes her hand. Hey, your mother's here? So what? You better On Giesel's advice, Popeye dances back out into the ring, and we see some fancy footwork here. Yeah, I really loved this, and it looks again like Robin Williams is doing this himself. Yeah. And I, I think that must have taken so much patience and practice to and get these, that right. The cartoon shoes that they're wearing yes. are phenomenal, too. Popeye stays up close and dodges a lot of punches in a row. Oxheart dizzies himself and accidentally punches his own mother out of his corner. Popeye gives Oxheart a few free punches, which do nothing, and then he winds up his right fist, literally, to go in for the kill. I'm not even sure how they did this swirling fist trick, because it looks like his hand is just twisting impossibly mm -hmm. around. Uh, it is connected to Robin Williams's arm, and I don't see his hand. Uh, the twister punch does make an appearance in the 1936 Oscar-nominated short Popeye Meets Sinbad the Sailor, which I just watched a couple days ago. It's amazing. And uh, for an 84-year-old cartoon, it is absolutely gorgeous. It has the real-world models for the backdrops because it's all mm -hmm. rotoscoped. And it's the first Popeye short in color. The animation is really high frame rate. Everything is just amazing. And there's 20 moving characters in every shot. It's really impressive. Unless his entire hand is inside the forearm, though. I don't know how they're getting this glove to spin like this at the end of his arm. At the same time as Oxheart goes down, the statue falls off the front of the boat. Popeye sneaks out of his room at night and finds Olive feeding the baby. They make plans for Sweet Pea's future, including school and a vine-covered cottage. They sing a duet urging the child to stay with each of them. Stay with me. 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 We cut to Wimpy filling a burger with gravy or something in the oil kitchen the next morning. Giesel asks him what he's doing, and he says it's a soup burger. These are difficult times. Burgers can't be choosers. <laughs> Paul Dooley is also a treasure in this movie. Yeah, everybody is cast so brilliantly. Popeye asks Olive if she was worried about his fight, and she says no because she asked Sweet Pea, and Sweet Pea said everything would be fine. She proves Sweet Pea's psychic ability by asking him a few questions and getting whistles for affirmative responses. So then I queried, Sweet Pea, will Popeye actually survive? <laughs> Wimpy takes note of this child's abilities, and he tells them that the kid looks peaked and offers to take him for a quick walk. Olive is offended that Popeye let Wimpy take the kid for a walk when he wouldn't let her do the same. Well, I liked it first. Popeye is upset because, wait a minute. The kid can't walk. <laughs> it's like, well, I would carry him. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great, as long as you don't take him for a drag. <laughs> we cut to the local horse races on a large shipwreck in the bay. They're obviously not real horses, but small models that move in tracks. Sweet Pea has delivered a winner to Wimpy when Cat's Pajamas takes first place. Bluto watches the races through a window in his office door upstairs. Sweet Pea picks Holy Moly for race two, and Wimpy puts everything on him. Popeye and the oils find their way to the boat to collect their son from Wimpy. Olive is yelling at Wimpy until she realizes that he's made $120 already in just two races and starts looking at the program. Popeye won't have his son gambling. He won't have his son be a racetrack trout. <laughs> yeah. Olive pretends the kid has something in his eye and then steals Sweet Pea back to bet all of their money on a horse named Sucking Lemons. Popeye is left alone on the whorehouse side of the boat and starts to sing a song asking what he is. What am I? I'm Popeye, the sailor. And I yum what I yum what I yum and I yum what I yum and that's all that I yum because I yum what I yum. 
I like this song a no, lot, too. No, no, no. Yes, I, 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 do, I do like no. this song. It's a great one. At the climax of the song, he rips a stack of Olive's winnings from her hands and tosses all the money in the air before he takes Sweepy and dances off the boat. Bluto gestures for Wimpy to join him in his office. And later, we see Popeye moving out of the oil house and taking Sweet Pea with him. Olive cries in a window of the house as they leave, and it's such like a cartoony moment. You just see her perfectly profiled in the window, just boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. There's a couple of things like that. When uh, I meant to bring it up earlier when Bluto calls for lights out, there every window in the town has like silhouettes of people doing things inside yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Popeye and Sweet Pea move into a shack off the water, and when the tax man tries to charge him a bunch of fees, he shoves the guy down a full ramp out into the water. The entire town erupts into applause, and they lift Popeye in the air and throw confetti to celebrate. I like how this this celebration keeps getting more and more magnificent, and eventually there's confetti and a parade and everything. It's like it could have just been people clapping about it. In the confusion, Wimpy is able to steal the baby and takes it to Bluto. In exchange for probably burgers, he stole a child and yeah. traded it for burgers. Yeah, he walks away with a sack and he's eating a burger, so I presumed that the sack was full of more burgers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Popeye realizes Sweet Pea is gone and cries out to the crowd. While he cries to himself that night, Olive sneaks up on his new home and hears him admit that Sweet Pea needed a mother and a father, which leads her to the best song of the film, a song Paul Thomas Anderson would later include in his soundtrack for Punch Drunk Love. And all at once I knew, I knew at once, I knew he needed me. Until the day I die, I won't know why, I knew he needed me. These songs were really easy to write. They are. Just say the same things over and over again. But they're again. great. I, mean, I, I think he was trying to keep it as simple as the comic strip, too. He yeah. didn't want to overcomplicate it. I, I, I like it in this song, but I feel like the other songs, it just it just seems like a child wrote it. I think it's for children, though. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like a child wrote it in a good way. Because <laughs> what is it? It's... I mean, I mean, I mean. And and you know what I mean. Huh? And then, and then there's food, food, food. Everything yeah. is food. And sweet, <laughs> sweet haven. And then I am what I am what I am. Yep. It's a lot of repeats. But they're all great. I agree with I, you guys. Nope. These songs are flawless. No. During the song, Olive does more of her classic cartoon walk with her hands on her hips swaying back and forth. It's just really wonderful. And the sleeves are so flowy on her dress that they just... She's just got rubber arms. Yeah, it's, it's and she also has some impressive footwork with those yeah. giant boots. Yeah, because everybody has the big boots. Bluto's got them too. It's hard to be in a movie with Robin Williams and seem more like a cartoon than he does, yeah. <laughs> but she manages <laughs> to pull it off. We see Sweet Pea looking out the porthole from Bluto's boat, and he says, Popeye! And we cut to Popeye writing him a letter in song, Don't You Cry My Sweet Pea. At the end, Popeye throws his letter overboard in a baby bottle. It's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the worst songs the movie has to offer, but I just thought that the touch of having the note go into a baby bottle was too adorable. Even when the lyrics or music are bad, the imagery is always great throughout the film. Sweet Pea sees the note float by, and we iris in on the baby's face in the porthole. In the morning, Wimpy has a telescope and is spying on Bluto and Sweet Pea, He notes that the Commodore's ship is in the harbor, but that the Commodore is nowhere to be seen. Olive starts shouting at Wimpy when she hears him mention Sweet Pea in his mumblings to himself. And we cut to Bluto speaking with the Commodore about the potential fortune the baby could bring in. And the Commodore says, I got all the fortunes I cares about. 
I got me buried treasure while gripping a can of spinach with both hands. The Commodore tries to spoon-feed this gelatinous spinach to the baby, who keeps trying to shove it away. It's pretty clear already from the massive forearms, corncob pipe, and general costume that the Commodore here, played by Ray Walston, is supposed to be Popeye's papa. Bluto tells him they could break the bank at the betting parlor, when the Commodore reminds him that he owns the betting parlor, and he'd rather take money away from the people who live here than win it from himself. Bluto tells the Commodore he's not being fair by keeping the location of his buried treasure a secret, and the Commodore goes into his song. It's not easy being me, master of me own destiny, and I hate responsibility. It's not easy being me. Shut your lip and open your mouth. In the middle of the song, Bluto starts tying up the Commodore with rope. He's just like, mutiny! It just ties him, strings mucony. him up in the room. Or mutiny? Uh, does he say it? Maybe he does say it. I think he does. Mutiny? <laughs> Sounds like mucus. Mion rope, too. <laughs> Bluto lifts the Commodore in his chair off the ground and leaves him dangling on the rope before stealing Sweet Pea. Wimpy and Olive tell Popeye that they've found his father. Your father is a rat! Oh, no. A crook! And a kidnapper! And he's on the Commodore's boat right now with Bluto and Sweet Pea. That's what I can't tell you. No, he ain't. Oh, he is, he is. No, he ain't, he ain't. Oh. Me father ain't no kidnappers. Oh, he is too. He's a rat, oh. a crook, a kidnapper, and a bad father and more. No, 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 no. more? Yeah. yeah. Well, it appears that uh, your father is a Commodore. Bluto starts asking Sweet Pea if he can lead him to the buried treasure, and the Commodore tries to convince the kid to shut up. Popeye still doesn't believe what they've told him about his father. They ain't there, and I'm gonna prove it. Now, where ain't they? Uh, they ain't on the Commodore's boat. That's where they ain't? Mm-hmm. Well, if that's where they ain't, that's where I'm gonna prove that they ain't. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> the whole town cheers Popeye on as he approaches the Commodore's boat. Now they're all on his side because they've seen him want to fight with some people. But they won't go with him to the Commodore's right. boat. Right, nope. When he finds the Commodore, his father, he doesn't notice that Bluto and Sweet Pea are sneaking up the stairs behind him to leave the boat. Popeye hugs his father, despite his father's insistence that they're not related. Pappy shakes Popeye off of him and reads off his full title. Your caskin shatters on poop deck, Pappy. Pride of the Pacific and father to the shark. Brother to the Piranica, cousin to the killer whale, and uncle to the octopusy. <laughs> to prove they aren't related, he asks Popeye to eat the can of raw spinach on the table. Pappy shouts at him to eat it, and Popeye suddenly turns into a child, refusing to do so. Eat that spinach. I don't want to eat that spinach. Eat that spinach, you brat. I don't want to eat that spinach. You eat that spinach. Pappy admits here that Popeye would never eat his spinach ever since he was two and his mother died, even though that's what kept their family strong for thousands of years. It seems like that's all it took for him to decide that he wasn't going to raise this kid. Like, oh, you're not going to eat your spinach? All right, bye. Pappy stole a lot of spinach to keep his son healthy and was caught and jailed. Back above deck, we see Bluto carrying Olive over his shoulder and dumping her into one of those big tube things that sticks out of the top of ships. I don't know what they're called. Trumpets, I think. Boat trumpets. (laughs) What? talking about (laughs) those big horn looking things that stick out of the top of ships i assume that is some sort of like chimney or exhaust of some sort Mm -hmm. i would imagine i think they're i think they're boat trumpets (laughs) i I think they're meant to scoop air in for ventilation lower Ah, decks speed holes (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, he dumps Olive into this. She's all tied up and she's stuck in it. Caster points out that Bluto is leaving with Olive and Sweet Pea, and we hear some of Olive's classic animated cartoon screaming. Olive chastises Popeye for following too slowly. Mm -hmm. We see a wide shot on the open ocean and learn that Bluto is headed out to Scab Island. Popeye and Pappy argue with each other the whole way to Scab Island. It leads to a sort of spoken word song, the least musical so far, but it's just Pappy complaining about how kids are and uh, they're too demanding for his taste. Mm -hmm. They start to catch up with Bluto's ship and set up a cannon to fire a warning shot over the bow. Instead of warning shots, Pappy hits Bluto's ship twice and then rams it, <laughs> sinking both boats. We see Bluto and Sweet Pea and a rowboat, and then behind them, Bluto is towing the boat trumpet <laughs> from the deck of the ship. <laughs> She's still stuck in this thing. Sweet Pea leads Bluto to the treasure, and when Bluto finds it, he has to lift a giant octopus arm off the chest underwater. Popeye sees Olive in trouble and starts swimming full speed at her with his pipe sticking out of the water like a periscope. He starts to use it as a periscope with an actual crosshair and spots Bluto lifting the treasure chest out of the water. Popeye approaches Bluto and Bluto just punches him straight up out of the water. And then the oils throw a lifesaver over Popeye as he surfaces and Bluto's able to punch Popeye now because he's restrained by this lifesaver. It's like holding his arms down. Pappy gets to the treasure chest while Bluto chases Popeye up onto the rocks of Scab Island. Bluto and Popeye get into a sword fight using old rusty swords they found in pirate skeletons. The octopus throws its tentacles over Sweet Pea's rowboat. Pappy and the oils make a plan to rescue the baby. And just before the octopus pulls the boat underwater, they catch Sweet Pea with a hook from an old shipwreck mast and lift him up above the water. The octopus tentacles start gripping at Olive's legs because they're sticking out of the bottom of this pipe into the water. I, by the way, I did confirm it is ventilation. You okay. are correct again with your random guesses of ship parts, Richard. <laughs> For sure it's not a boat trumpet. I, in, if a trumpet on a boat is meant for air in, Isn't intake. Isn't that kind of what trumpets are for, though? Because you breathe through them. They're not for air intake. They're for making sounds out. Do you take your mouth off of it to inhale before you blow out? Yeah, I think you do. Then I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> Pappy opens the treasure chest for the baby and it's just full of spinach and little kids toys and boots it's all Popeye stuff from when he was a baby uh, we see another picture frame in here labeled me son again mm -hmm. with no photograph in it um, and a book called how to raise an orphink by Dr. Speck chapter one just reads feed it spinach but apparently he didn't even get through <laughs> chapter one of yeah. this book Dr. Speck is a reference to celebrity pediatrician Dr. Benjamin Spock author of several best-selling child care books. The tentacles start pulling Olive down into the water, and she tries to bite it before being pulled completely under. Bluto is winning the fight with Popeye as the octopus tries to drown Olive in the background. Pappy throws a can of spinach to Popeye, and when Bluto learns he hates it, he tries to force Popeye to choke it down. There was a point in the IMDb trivia that says for one of these throws, Walston hit Robin Williams so hard in the head that they had to stop shooting for the day and he needed stitches. Oh, no. Because uh, the can just sliced open his his head. Oh, God, it was a real can. Yeah. Maybe not in the final shot, but... Can't Pop use an empty can. It would have too much drift. Yeah. So you got to use a full can. Yep. Popeye sinks under the water and suddenly it seems to be boiling. As a big Popeye fist comes out of the water, it knocks Bluto out. 
And unfortunately, this is all we get to see of him fighting Bluto. Yeah. Just this one punch. But I like how Bluto is trying to look through the water. And so he like sweeps the water away. Yeah. As if like he's like clearing away debris or something. And then this hand just comes right out at him. Popeye flies across the cove and punches out the octopus. He knocks it hundreds of feet in the air. And we get this really funny, super wide shot of the octopus, just like a Frisbee flying around above the island. Bluto swims away terrified. And again, we get one of these color switches where his entire costume is now yellow because he's a chicken. And uh, Olive gives Popeye a big kiss. And then he sings the title song from the classic cartoons. Oh, I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. I'm strong to the finish because I eat my spinach. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. The song is so catchy that even one of the pirate skeletons is singing along. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that the pirate died with its parrot on his shoulder. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like that touch. <laughs> Maybe the parrot died first. For the full length of the credits, we watch Bluto swim away from Scab Island into this the distance. Poor, poor stuntman. Yeah. I mean, or, or an actor here, which whoever yeah. had to swim for like five straight minutes out into open ocean yeah <laughs> just keep swimming just keep swimming <laughs> <laughs> our director here was robert altman he directed mash which we covered in a patreon episode earlier this year he also directed an earlier film in 1980 called health but it didn't get a wide release in the u.s until 1982 he directed a second feature in 1970 as well brewster mcleod which was unfortunately not selected as our december patreon review he also directed one of my all-time favorite films, The Long Goodbye, as well as Nashville, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Three Women, The Player, Shortcuts, Gosford Park, and lastly, A Prairie Home Companion before passing in 2006. He was nominated for seven Oscars and eventually took home an honorary award the year he died. Writer Jules Pfeiffer wrote Carnal Knowledge. He also wrote an animated short called Monroe which won the Oscar for Best Animated Short in 1961. He was an assistant to cartoonist Will Eisner at age 17 and became the staff cartoonist at The Village Voice, where he worked for the next 50 years. Hmm. His daughter is playwright and actress Haley Pfeiffer, who has made appearances in films like The Squid and the Whale, Margot at the Wedding, and Gentleman Broncos. Characters from E.C. Seagar. His credits are all either on the original Popeye animated shorts or character credits that are related to Popeye in some way. Editor John W. Holmes. Before this, Holmes edited Andromeda Strain and Diamonds Are Forever. Our other editor, David A. Simmons. This was his first and only theatrical feature credit until Blind Fury in 89, but the rest were all TV movies. Cinematographer Giuseppe Rotuno was a DP on eight films from director Federico Fellini. He started this project fresh off an Oscar nomination for his cinematography for All That Jazz in 79. He also lensed Carnal Knowledge from screenwriter Jules Pfeiffer, as well as Rollover, which we'll be covering next year, Red Sonia, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Regarding Henry, Wolf, and the Sabrina remake in 95. I definitely see Baron Munchausen in this. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, really great use of the colors and uh, these wide shots that are picking up all of this detail in the set the music was from harry nelson he's a celebrated american singer songwriter sometimes referred to as the american beetle after the beatles were asked in a press conference what their favorite american group was and answered nelson he later befriended ringo and john and in the wake of john's murder took time away from the music industry to campaign for gun control he famously performed the cover of fred neal's 
Everybody's Talking for the Midnight Cowboy soundtrack. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words they're saying. Only the echoes of my mind. Earlier this year, he provided the opening song Good for God at the start oh, of no. In God We Trust. Good <laughs> for God. Oh, wait, that was the good one. God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. it's a good song. Uh, he also wrote and performed the theme song for the animated series Camp Candy. Nice. Uh, which he performed with John Candy. Bee bites, the bee bites, the bark of the tree bites, the quietness of darkness, the stories told by firelight, the long nights, the food bites, a summer made of memories at Camp Candy. And he has at least two songs featured in Paul Thomas Anderson films with One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do, starting off Magnolia, and Shelley Duvall's He Needs Me from this film showing up in Punch Drunk Love. Um, he also, I just realized today, wrote uh, my favorite song from the movie Head, the monkey's movie. Mm. The, it's called the, the Daddy's Song, and it's the one that, the uh, that Davy one. Jones sings. Mm. Yeah. Years ago, I knew a man. He was my mother's biggest fan. That was him. So it makes sense that he wrote that one because it's my favorite song in that movie. Robin Williams played Popeye. This was his first starring role in a feature film somehow. He was halfway through his run as Mork from Ork on Happy Days spinoff Mork and Mindy at the time of the film's release. Before that, he was a regular performer on Laugh-In. Unfortunately, we won't see him again until The World According to Garp in 1982. We will eventually get to see his work in titles like Good Morning Vietnam, The Fisher King, Hook, Fern Gully, Aladdin, Toys, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, Jack, Flubber. Hang on, we aren't going there. Yes, far. we are. <laughs> oh, God. Goodwill Hunting, for which he took home an Oscar, and World's Greatest Dad, which is a really wonderful film that I feel God, like that would came be. came out in like the 2000s. That would be super hard to watch right now, I think. Yeah. Considering the subject matter. Shelley Duvall played Olive Oil. This is Duvall's second home run for the year after Wendy Torrance in Kubrick's The Shining this summer. She also appeared in Altman's Brewster McCloud, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, and Three Women. She's Dame Pansy in Time Bandits, Susan Frankenstein in Frankenweenie, and Harland Williams' mom in Rocket Man. You know, the one where he farts in a spacesuit? Yeah. Rocket Man. Wait. And she also wrote Is and Rocket produced. Rocket Man, the name of that doc, not the yeah, Elton John. He farts yeah. in a space suit. No, <laughs> was it called, wasn't it called? They're Rocket both Man? called Rocket Man. Okay. Yeah, they're both called I was Rocket Man. Confused there. But but the Rocket Man with Harlan Williams was like a joke on the song versus yeah. Like, they're both Elton John references, but one is a Elton John biopic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like, as the biopic, I wouldn't want to be confused with this other movie. I might have picked a I think different title. They assumed, probably safely, that no one remembers Harland Williams' Rocket Man. <laughs> Although, I don't know how you forget that fart bubble moving through the tube to the other astronauts. Yeah. They're all connected. <laughs> so great. Shelley Duvall also wrote and produced the lovely Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories TV series. Yeah. Robin Williams appeared in one episode as the Frog Prince. Mm -hmm. Lots of amazing guest appearances on that show. Ray Walston played Poop Deck Pappy. He's Luther Billis in South Pacific, Mr. Applegate in Damn Yankees. He was Joe Dobish in The Apartment, Mad Jack Duncan in Paint Your Wagon, J.J. Singleton in The Sting. We'll see him next year as Core in Galaxy of Terror. He's Mr. Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. 
and he's the newspaper vendor who keeps getting blinded and deafened in Johnny Dangerously. Yeah. Uh, I also like him as Boothby, a reoccurring Star Trek The Next Generation character, and oh, okay. ultimately Voyager, but yeah. Um, he also played a character named Armitan, a suspicious anagram for Martian, in the movie My Favorite Martian, after having played the lead Martian on the series My Favorite Martian in the 60s. So uh, our father and son lead characters here both have the initials rw and they both played aliens on popular sitcoms mm-hmm. paul dooley was wimpy he's dr gil ganey in altman's other 1980 title health he's claude elsinore in strange brew jim baker in 16 candles that's uh, molly ringwald's father owen chase in shakes the clown he's himself in the player he plays ufo abductee in waiting for guffman and he's cheryl's dad on curb your enthusiasm he also provides the voice of Sarge in the Cars movies. Uh, also, another Star Trek reference because he's in Nobrantane, one of my another fun Cardassian uh, character. All right. I'm glad you bring these up because, like, the dad, I'm like, I recognize him, like, so recognize him. He's one of those faces that I'm like, I have seen this like a million. I've seen him in something a million times. The mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. Poop dead Becky. and it's star trek now that i looked up a picture of him in star trek i'm like that's it Mm. i've seen those episodes so many times honestly the (laughs) for me the one that i recognize the most is from johnny dangerously when he keeps getting hit with a pile of newspapers i've only seen that movie once i think but but i've watched the star trek series over and over yeah (laughs) paul l smith was bluto he plays archduke in maverick he's the beast rabbin in dune the role being played by Dave Bautista in the Villeneuve remake, and Falcon in Red Sonja. He's also Willard, the groundskeeper in Pieces. Good stuff. Richard Libertini was Giesel. This is our first 1980 title for Libertini, but we've had him as the brother of a dead soldier in Catch-22 and as a baggage handler in Out of Towners for our Patreon reviews this year. He's also Fletch's editor, Frank Walker. He's Prakalasa in All of Me. Mm-hmm. He's the voice of Wally Lama on the Animaniacs and the voice of Dijon, the yeah. antagonist of the DuckTales, the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp. <laughs> um, Donald Moffat was the tax man. He was also in health earlier this year. Uh, he appears as Sam in On the Nickel for 1980, which we'll be covering on its 41st anniversary. He's LBJ in The Right Stuff. He's Mr. McCoy in Bonfire of the Vanities. He's Gary in The Thing. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! (laughs) Roberta Maxwell played Nana Oil. We had her earlier this year as the woman at the real estate office that was leaking info to the senator in The Changeling. She's Irene March in The Postman. She's Jake Gyllenhaal's mom in Brokeback Mountain and Judge Tate in Philadelphia. The actress is only 39 in the film and a mere seven years older than Shelley Duvall, who plays her daughter. Donovan Scott was Castor Oil. He's Leslie Barbara in Police Academy. He plays a deputy in Back to the Future 3, and we'll see him next as a neighbor in The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Alan F. Nichols played Roughhouse. Uh, he's also Upton in Slapshot, Bill in Nashville, and he has lots of AD credits, including 22 episodes of Saturday Night Live. Also, The Player, Shortcuts, Dead Man Walking, and Cradle Will Rock. Wesley Ivan Hurt played Sweet Pea. That's the grandson of director Robert Altman playing the baby. Oh. It's a decent baby actor, too, on yeah. top of yeah. Yeah. Uh, being related. Bill Irwin played Ham Gravy, the old boyfriend, and it would surprise no one to learn 
that Mr. Irwin graduated from Ringling Brothers Clown College. I was going to ask. In 1975. He's got such great uh, body mechanics. Yeah, like it's, it's incredible. He appeared in the Lincoln Center off-Broadway production of Waiting for Godot alongside Steve Martin and Robin Williams. This is his first feature film role, and he plays a mime in Paul Mazursky's Scenes from a Mall. He's Charlie Sheen's father in Hot Shots. In 2005, he won a Tony for Best Actor in a play for a revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. More recently, he has provided the voice of TARS, the rectangular prism robot from Interstellar, but my children know him best from his Sesame Street appearances as Mr. Noodle, Mr. Noodle. on Elmo's World. Of course he's Mr. Mr. Noodle! Irwin <laughs> originated the character, but eventually handed it off to Michael Jeter to play Mr. Noodle's brother, Mr. Noodle, there are now six or seven siblings in the Noodle family, including <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth and David Diggs. That's wonderful. Yeah, but Michael Jeter, I can definitely see coming from Bill Irwin. Yeah. Like, I can see, yeah, that's a good transition. I would well, pick him. Yeah, it's great. And he did it right up until he died. He only did it for three years. It was the mm. last three years of his life. But while he was doing that job, he said it was the best job he'd had in 20 years, which is great. I'm, great. I'm happy he, for Jeter. Yeah, he was he was great. Robert Fortier played Bill Barnacle, the town drunk. He also played the town drunk in McCabe and Mrs. Miller from the same director. And he was Edgar Hart in Three Women. David McCarran played Harry Hotcash, the gambler. This is his first credit. And he provides the voice of the Shredder and Oroku Saki in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1 and 2. The hmm. character is played by uh, James Saito. Right. But uh, I think in the first one, at least. I don't know who played him in the second one. Actually, in the second one, isn't he Super Shredder? So it's Steve Nash, or there's well, two he, in the second one. He's not movie. Super Shredder until the very end. Though. Right, that makes sense. Linda Hunt was Mrs. Oxhart, his mutter. Uh, she plays Shoutout Mapes in Dune. She's also Miss Schlowski in Kindergarten Cop. She's Grandmother Willow in Pocahontas. She does the voice of Grandmother oh. Willow. Uh, she's also Lady Proxima in Solo. And she has credits in 262 episodes of NCIS Los Angeles as mm -hmm. Hetty Lang, where she plays a sort of Edna Mode mm -hmm. type character. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I always liked her character in Silverado. Uh, oh, she's, yeah. She's the, the owner of the saloon. Wayne Robeson played Chisel Flint, the pawnbroker. Uh, he's the voice of Frank in Rescuers Down Under, and he plays Ren in Cube. That's one of the first people to die. Not the yeah. guy who dies in the cold open, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's like an escape artist who doesn't want to talk to anybody. Right. He, it's the Wren. <laughs> yeah. Ray Cooper played the preacher. Uh, he has lots of music department credits. Yeah. Including a bunch of Gilliam stuff. Yeah, that's what, he also acts in a lot of the Gilliam stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he, he did music for Time Bandits, Brazil, Baron Munchausen, Fisher King, Fear and Loathing. His first credit was on Tommy in 75 as a drummer for Elton John. Uh, who he performed with pretty regularly. Dennis Franz was Spike, a tough. Uh, he's obviously Detective Andy Sipowicz on 261 episodes of NYPD Blue. And uh, he's Carmine Lorenzo in Die Hard 2, Manny Carp in Blowout, and we saw him last as a detective in Dress to Kill. Ned Dowd played Butch, another of the toughs. He plays Oglethorpe in Slapshot. He's a producer on titles like Last of the Mohicans, Three Musketeers, the 93 version, 13th Warrior, Wonder Boys, Shanghai Noon, Count of Monte Cristo, Reign of Fire, and Apocalypto. I love this movie. I think it works really well. I think it's a perfect encapsulation of everything that the shorts had to offer. I think it's it's very accurate to the comic strip now that I've looked into it further. Um, 
and I just love how they built this entire town. It feels 100% lived in and real, and all the people feel real, and you can see most of them in every shot. It's like Dogville, how populated yeah. this town is. I have some problems with this movie. <laughs> okay, so first of all, this is the first time I've seen it, so I have no sure. I have no nostalgia yes. over this movie. I did no, not I, see I it I as admit a kid. freely that I watched this as a child and loved it as a child. Yeah, so. so I so I feel like I might have a different take on this movie had I had I seen it before you know, a couple days ago. Yes. Um, I, I I agree with you. I love the aesthetic of this movie. I love the town. I love the characters in the town. The actors are amazing. Everybody does a bang-up job. That being said, there's a reason why Popeye shorts are shorts. There <laughs> isn't enough story here. And it, it was, was it almost two hours? How long was this movie? Yeah, it was an hour... 50 yeah it was way too long there there was not enough story to carry it that far sure um you know the shorts were were funny you know mostly sight gags um and and i don't think there was enough of that in this movie um so i feel like i would have amped that up and taken you know a different turn with the story just to make it worth having a movie there i don't feel like this warranted a movie like it was beautiful i feel like it's a movie to me i don't know. I, I do feel like the the ending is is i mean they were out of money and yeah. so we have this rubber octopus that doesn't get to do much yeah and the fight with bluto is literally one punch but they added what did you say 12 songs yeah there's 11 or 12 songs it's mm-hmm. crazy the crazy amount of songs for this like cut cut the songs back make them better that you could cut two songs out of this and even though we just watched it this week we wouldn't notice they were gone i agree no. i agree there was a lot of of the songs that i think were totally unnecessary but i do also want to give it credit for being i feel like the first of a genre because I, we, we were kind of talking about this and i was sure. trying to i was trying to think of movies that were live action, fully live action movies of an animated property. And you you mentioned how Superman was before this and that was a comic strip and Flash Gordon was a comic strip and all of this yeah. stuff like it came came before this. But I feel like this is the first and fully thing that I identify as like an animated property done live action. I also feel like along the same lines superman they didn't try to make it look like a cartoon right it's, it, different. it's trying yeah. to be in the real world well yeah. and, and that's the, the, other thing. the superman cartoon the superman yeah. cartoons were very based in sort of i mean obviously not based in reality in that superman has all these powers but they're not like they're that. not accentuated shapes but the world itself right. is very grounded and yeah. this that's not true for popeye and so i yeah. feel like this is the first movie that i can think of that did this and and now especially coming from an era where all disney wants to do is exactly what this movie tried to do and this was the first of that yeah just live action adaptations of animated stuff they had rights to exactly and i was like that that that's kind of incredible thinking to be the first one to be like what can we do how can we do this well i think it was really smart of evans to go to altman with it um although he might have made more money if they'd have gone with somebody else yeah um because it could have been you know accessible and a little bit more of uh, a child-oriented story than it ended up. But I really like the way this turned out. Well, I think Altman has the ability to kind of get into that imaginary world a little bit better than a lot of people. Like, to make these characters really goofy and fun and silly and to give the whole town that feel. Because the town feels like a town that was built for a theme park. Right. Like, it's all these crisscrossy bridges. It's like Stormalong in in Flapjack. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it it has no real order or sense or logic to it. 
Um, but I believe that it's a real place while also being a place that clearly isn't real. Yeah, it's you're like, there's not enough buildings to house all these people, but it looks amazing and mm-hmm. I want to live here. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a great blend of cartoony and real world. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted a, a story to back that up. I th- I think that they're, they're, the story is there, but that it they're treading on it very lightly. Like, for example, the... The whole, I mean, the crux of a lot of the original Popeye cartoons is Popeye and Bluto are fighting over olive oil. Yeah. And there's not even a fight when that happens in this movie. When when she goes from being Bluto's boyfriend to being Popeye's boyfriend in the movie, it's literally just overnight. And and that, that disagreement is over with one punch. Yeah. Again. And, and he doesn't want her back. Yeah. Although he does kidnap her. Yeah. But I feel like that's born for leverage. Yeah, he does it to piss off Popeye. But um that and the stuff with the kid i feel like if the, if it had been a little bit more i you could use the same story and just beef up different parts of it and have yeah. a bigger climax then it would have it would have worked better yeah or maybe even go a different route in that have it be all of these short stories but rather than drawn out over the entire film have them start and finish like the fight with oxblood is one short the the sweet pea is one short looking for poop deck pappy is i can't where i really cannot say that um is one short but it's like a through line for a lot of the things that are happening yeah the 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 bluto olive oil marriage should have been one story and and it should start and finish and then that's over yeah like don't don't drag this out like with keep having hints about it throughout the whole thing yeah also um we didn't mention it before but because of the the original popeye comics uh, the character of Mario arose from Popeye because Nintendo wanted to make a video game version of Popeye and they couldn't get the rights. So instead of Bluto throwing barrels at Popeye, they made Donkey Kong about this sort of King Kong ripoff throwing barrels at just another guy character. <laughs> and then that character became Mario over the course of name, the like next Super few games. Jump Man, Jump yeah. Man, something yeah. like that. But um, so if you didn't have Popeye, we might not have Mario as we know him today, which is interesting. And eventually, I guess uh, they did get to make a Popeye game. Yeah, there was a, on the original NES, there was a Popeye. Yeah, like I mean, original, like yes. with one of the the classic series. I like this movie so much. It's a thumbs up for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I'm not as enthusiastic no, okay. about it as you guys. You don't I'll have give to it. Be. A, I'll give it a thumbs up, but it's not. It, it's it's not what I'm going to say is my first choice to be like, oh, my God, you have to see this movie. I'm like, yeah, you should probably see it. But so part of part of what I love about this movie and um, it happens a lot in movies with pirates, I guess um, <laughs> this movie and the adventures of Baron Munchausen and Hook. Actually, they all three have Robin Williams, too. That's weird. Um, <laughs> but uh these movies where the sets are so expansive and yeah. there's so much work yeah. that goes into the set design that I just throw my heart into the movie as soon as it starts. Like, I'm just like, just tell me whatever you want. And I'm just going to be looking around like an idiot the whole time. Like, <laughs> this is so great. Yeah. What I you guys the, did here. I love the world building. I think yeah. it's great. I just think that those other movies did a better job with the story to go I along agree. with it. I agree. I have a weakness for that, that suddenly the story doesn't matter to me as much when I when there's just cool stuff to look at like hook i know you don't <laughs> like hook either great i don't know what's wrong with you richard it's fine they just should have credited the writer of jaws 
for his work on the island novel. <laughs> it's not a ripoff of the island. It's not a ripoff. I agree. It's a straight up adaptation. <laughs> no, you're wrong. Anyway, yeah, big thumbs up for me. Um, so th- three thumbs up. Oh yeah. I start with here, letterboxed. Jess, where's it going? Okay, so it's not crazy high on my list. Sure. I'm sorry. Uh, I have it in 71st place. Okay. It is below the competition and above bad timing. Okay. That's it. Richard, letterbox. Uh, I have this at solid number 30. 30, uh, okay. uh, Which puts it uh, just below somewhere in time and just above Xanadu. I have it in seventh place. (gasps) Nice. It's just under the island. uh, Later remade as Hook. And just above Flash Gordon. So it breaks into my top 10 here. Um, I also wanted to point out, I'm just noticing Heaven's Gate in my list. We talked during our Heaven's Gate review about how flops were referred to at like references back to Heaven's Gate. So like when Waterworld came out, they called it Kevin's Gate because Kevin Cosner mm-hmm. and it lost money. Um, and because initially Popeye didn't make a lot of money or at least not as much as they expected it to, they called it Evan's Gate. Which is crazy that they were already making jokes about Heaven's Gate the year Heaven's Gate came out. <laughs> um, but, you could have uh, called it Haven's Gate. Sweet Haven. No. Maybe. Mm-hmm. You'd have to, think they were you would have to see the movie to get the yeah. reference. And nobody saw it. But everybody loves <laughs> yeah. shitting on Robert Evans, so you don't need to know anything there. Kid Notorious. Yeah. <laughs> Did I rate this too low? It's no. your call. It's your call. It's better than the competition, if that's your question. I, I don't know what that means. Isn't that what you said it was below? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? It's I'm better than objectively the competition. It's better than the competition. I meant the movie, the competition. I know, but I didn't know what you meant when you said that because I was like, what are you talking about? What competition? It's better than The Empire Strikes Back. What empire? <laughs> <laughs> Put it where you put it. Put it where know. your heart wants it. I don't know where my heart wants this movie. My heart is torn on this movie. Yeah. My, my heart loves this movie visually and loves the acting, and I just, I, I can't get behind just about anything else about this movie. Yeah. I love it. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Stir Crazy which IMDb describes like so. Set up and wrongfully accused, two best friends will be sent to prison for a crime they didn't commit. However, no prison cell could keep them locked in. We leave you now with the trailer for Stir Crazy. I hereby sentence you to serve 125 years. Have you got the right case? Columbia Pictures presents... Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Should I have my head over for listening to you? Together again in Stir Crazy. Ah, I can't feel nothing in my life. One's a little too good. That's Grossberger. The biggest mass murder in the history of the Southwest. Nobody has ever just sat down 
and honestly talked with that man. Hello. One's not quite bad enough. They got this Korean doctor just set foot in this country. Make sure you don't get him. That's right. He's the one made the mistake on me. Korean. How do you go? That's the cat did me. Could you actually become involved, I mean romantically, with a prisoner? Absolutely not. Oh, I didn't think so. Excuse me, will you? I'll come with you. Oh, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor in Stir Crazy. Only these two guys could dress up like woodpeckers and get framed for robbing a bank. Stir Crazy. That's right, that's right, we're bad. Imagine all the possibilities if the whole world was just like...